Jerry sat in the office of a Christian counselor, explaining that she felt desperate and felt like she was going crazy. Either that, she said, or I'm on the verge of a major breakthrough in my spiritual growth. Those are two big opposites, the counselor noted. How did you come to that conclusion? Well, she began, choking up. I went to my pastor a few months ago because I was feeling depressed a lot. He pegged the root of the problem right away, but I can't seem to do anything about it. Root problem, the counselor repeated. What was that? Jerry looked down at her shoe tops. I guess I would have to say the problem is, well, me. My pastor says I'm in rebellion against God. What unfolded was an unfortunate and all-too-common case history. Jerry's church teaches that scripture is God's word, the standard by which we must live, but they use it as a measure by which we gain acceptance with God rather than as a guide for living. Therefore, when she asked her pastor for help with her depression, she was given a prescription of praise scriptures to memorize and repeat over and over. This, she was told, would get her mind off of herself and onto God. The depression would lift when she got over her sinful self-centeredness. Jerry had tried what the pastor suggested, but her depression didn't lift, and this raised some questions. She noted that there was a history of depression among the women in her family, and that she was presently experiencing some physical problems. Moreover, she confided to her pastor that she was struggling in her relationship with her husband because he shrugged off responsibilities with their two teenagers who were beginning to get in trouble. How did he respond to you when you said his suggestion didn't help? That's when he dropped the bomb on me, Jerry said. The counselor did not fail to notice her choice of metaphor, the devastation Jerry was trying to portray, and asked, what sort of bomb? The pastor had told her, the fact that you won't accept my counsel without raising all of these objections and other possibilities was the major indication to me, Jerry, that your root problem is spiritual, not physical or emotional. When you talked about arguing with your husband rather than submitting to him and trusting God, that confirmed it. He concluded that the other problems, emotional depression, physical illness, a troubled marriage, and teenagers in turmoil, were the result of her inability to submit fully to God and his word. Jerry had tried to object. I told him I felt condemned, that I felt I needed some other kind of help. What happened? The counselor prompted. That made it worse. My pastor just smiled and said I wasn't willing to accept his counsel, so that proved he was right. That's when he used the R word on me. He said, Jerry, you need to repent of your rebellion against God then all of these minor problems will be taken care of. Spiritual recovery is recapturing your individuality, faith, joy, and desire, taking it back from those who would use positions of power and spiritual authority to rob you of you. Spiritual abuse in religion of many forms is just as real as physical forms of abuse and its effects are far-reaching and difficult to recover from. This show is designed to show you that you are not alone and that there is a lasting, joyful recovery to be found, one that is without the shackles of the traumatic effects of abuse. For those interested in recapturing your joy, we hope that you will follow and support this podcast. Our hope is that by sharing stories of abuse and redemption, you'll find the path to your own recovery and show you that finally you are free to be you. So welcome to the first episode of Spiritual Recovery. I want to mention right away that what I just read to you in this introduction was the very beginning of the book, The Subtle Power of Spiritual Abuse by David Johnson and Jeff Van Vonderen. This is a book that I found after I left a spiritually abusive church, what I would call a cult. And it amazes me how many like stories are out there. Ever since I left 18 months ago, I really began to search for answers to what was inside my head. I'd never heard the term spiritual abuse before. As a matter of fact, I hadn't even really done any studying on what a cult was or 
uh, what religious domination was. But it was after I left that I began to search for answers to the things I'd been seeing and experiencing. And it was then that I realized that there are hundreds, thousands of people out there who went through the same thing, who suffered the same abuse at the hands of those who would use dictatorial control to gain benefit from other people, to gain control of others, to gain material possessions or wealth from others. And then when I read the book, The Subtle Power of Spiritual Abuse, I literally sat there thinking, this was written about my church. Everything inside this book was literally just a recall of what I've experienced personally. And so it's the purpose of this show to talk about those experiences, and more importantly, the experiences of others, and more important than that, the recovery of others, the recovery of myself. So what is spiritual abuse, and why the podcast Spiritual Recovery? Well, as defined in this book, The Subtle Power of Spiritual Abuse, spiritual abuse is the mistreatment of a person who is in need of help, support, or greater spiritual empowerment, with the result of weakening, undermining, or decreasing that person's spiritual empowerment. And that's a pretty vague description within the book, The Subtle Power of Spiritual Abuse. So we want to talk about it just a little bit further to really understand what is this vague term? And is the term justifiable? Is it being too harsh or making things up? I want to point you back to when the Roman Catholic scandals begin to break of sexual abuse perpetrated by priests who had had their vows of celibacy pent them up in what I would consider to be sexual frustration. And then we started to see the stories come out of young people who had been abused in years and years, sometimes decades in the past, and people began to come out with these stories. And it was immediately brushed aside as somebody who was just bitter or somebody who had a chip on their shoulder Somebody who just didn't like maybe the way they were treated or they didn't get their way. They weren't able to serve in a function of the church. These are all things that I've heard said personally about me when I relate my stories. And if you look back in history, you'll notice that they were always brushed aside. They weren't taken seriously. It's kind of reminiscent of a serious problem in our culture where if a woman says she was abused by a man... The immediate response from so many people is, well, what was she doing? How was she dressed? Where was she? How late was it? Somehow we relate the abuse to being something that the victim caused. It's victim blaming. It is putting the onus on the one who has been affected for the reason they were affected. And this is what really drives spiritual abuse. It is the silencing of those who have been hurt by it. It's the silencing of those who need to get their story out, who need to be heard, who need to be validated so that they can move on into recovery. It's closure for them. It gives them the ability to recognize what happened and then to move on from it. But during that period of time where they're outcast and shunned and silenced or called bitter, they're attacked by their, their attackers again and again, there is a shame that builds up, a frustration, an anger, and a hate. And that anger and frustration buildup is what generally leads people to give up on faith, their own faith, whether that's a Christian faith or faith in themselves or whatever particular religion they choose. They view that the religion and the God of their religion is the reason why they were hurt. And that is the most dangerous and venomous and far-reaching effect of spiritual abuse. In spiritual abuse, the way I received it, it is a person who is in a place of power and authority, spiritual authority, someone who has been able to convince you that without them, you cannot attain the spiritual enlightenment you're looking for. As a Christian, that means heaven. That's the acceptance of God. And without that individual leading you, you cannot have that. And once that becomes ingrained into your mind, then you get to a place where you would do anything that person tells you to do. And at that point of control, spiritual abuse knows almost no bounds.
So how can you define a spiritually abusive church or a spiritually abusive system? Well, a long time ago, I wrote an article on our blog, which is dividetheword.blog. You can find it online. You can also find our YouTube channel online at youtube.com forward slash divide the word blog. But the article was about how to spot a spiritually abusive church. And this is the paragraph that I wrote that sums it up. You see, a spiritually abusive church is one in which the leadership has absolute and granular control over its members to the degree that they become willing to cannibalize each other for the sake of the leader and in which friendships and families are completely dependent upon the approval of that leader. You know this is true, as in my case, if you had to have the leader's permission when and if you could date, and what girl or boy you could date, how long you could date that person. You had to ask the leader permission to propose. He controlled how long the engagement could last, what was allowed at the wedding, who was allowed at the wedding, where you could live, where you could work, when you could go on vacation, what types of clothes were acceptable, how you could style your hair, whether or not you could color your hair, or whether or not you could color your fingernails. If the leader has absolute control over the decisions of your life, you're in a spiritually abusive church or a spiritually abusive system. More importantly, you have to ask yourself this question. If I was to stop attending this church today, would that affect my friendships and my family? More importantly, would I lose friends and would I jeopardize losing family? If you can answer yes to that question, this is definitely indicative of spiritual abuse. In fact, I got a comment three months ago on my video, How to Spot Pastor Worship, and this person said, this all sounds so familiar. I was in a spiritually abusive church that did many of these things. I loved the people in this church, and I considered them family. And when we decided to leave, we were shunned, and it really hurt. If leaving a church means that you lose your connection and friendships with people, it is a dangerous and venomous church that is going to infect your life in ways that could ultimately cause you to be the person who would then shun others and that you would turn away from family for the church. And this is my story. I'll never forget the day that I said, if things keep going like this, we're going to be in a commune soon. My inspiration for this podcast and the blog and the YouTube channel comes from having spent 15 years inside a charismatic Christian cult. And after having left the cult, I experienced the same separation, guilt, judgmentalism, and hate that outsiders have always claimed existed, but I was too blind to see it. I was even a perpetrator of that hate and judgmentalism to those who had left before me or to those who would not accept my religion. By the time I left, I wasn't calling it a cult, nor was I 100% aware of the psychological damage being done to those under the control of that system. Yet in my leaving, I found a strength and a courage to speak out against it. To those inside, I'm just bitter. I'm that victim that's being blamed as the cause of the problem. And I am. I am a little bitter. I'm bitter about men who use their positions of self-proclaimed spiritual authority to control the lives and the destiny of others based on a system of fear. Obey or God will judge you, they say. I'm angry that people could be hurt in ways that scar them for life in the name of God, who came to bring love and charity for man. I started blogging shortly after I left, which picked up traction quickly, and eventually I started a YouTube channel to produce videos on the topics of bad religion, which at first I just called legalism, but now I understand it for what it is, a cult system designed to control 
segregate, and work for the betterment of the leaders by using the followers as batteries for the machine of deceit. The passing of my mother was one of the last straws, or I like to think of it as the catalyst that pushed me away and into freedom. My blogging helped me to grieve that passing, and the memorial service, which was held at the church, was at the full control and mercy of the pastor, even down to what the guest cards could say and what the service order was. It turned into a fight of control over who could be there, which family members could attend, the problem being some families had left this church. It also turned into a fight of who could speak at the memorial service, and then what clothing they had to wear, what things they could not wear, and what things they could say. I first found the book The Subtle Power of Spiritual Abuse, then I was turned on to the book of Toxic Faith, then I continued to read these books, and it was like finding a mirror into my cult, the playback of the coach. Inside these pages was everything I had experienced, and I had experienced more than were in the pages. I kept nodding my head, yes, yes, to every page. And then I felt a real sense of regret and shame, because I had to realize that I had actually turned on those who left before me. My sister, her children, friends, people who had left the church could no longer be trusted. They were no longer welcome to come over. You didn't associate with them. And if they left on bad terms, they were disfellowshipped. And you'd be considered in the arms of Satan to continue being their friends. In fact, my friend of 15 years after I left the church continued speaking to me for a short while, but then that got dropped. And I understand. At one time he said, you don't understand the flack I get for staying friends with you. Sometime after my blog and YouTube channel gained traction and followers, people started emailing me, commenting, even calling me with their stories. I joined multiple online groups dedicated to helping people recover from cult life and spiritual abuse and to be a community springboard for people to openly share about their experiences, hurts, and recovery. This was also a major tool in my own recovery. It was overwhelming at first, heart-wrenching to know that so many people had, were, and still are experiencing the oppression of spiritual abuse in the name of faith. Having their lives controlled, families destroyed, and their accounts drained by evil men who want nothing more than control, money, and power. And perhaps those are one and the same. As difficult as that time was, I was driven on. Nearly every person that contacted me about my story, or who shared their story with me, told me the same thing. Keep talking about this. I heard things like, Finding your videos gave me hope that I wasn't alone and I could get through this. Recently, a young man said, If I hadn't found your videos, I don't think I ever would have gained the courage to get out. During that time, it was a real post-traumatic stress syndrome on a religious basis. In fact, another book I would encourage you to read is Post-Traumatic Church Syndrome. And hundreds and thousands of lives are being wrecked by this syndrome. And most importantly, souls and faith are being shipwrecked for man-made control, turning one after another away from the Jesus who ultimately came with a radically opposing message than the Jesus that these people teach. Recently, a woman contacted me online to tell me how much she appreciated one of my videos. She had thumbed up the video and liked it, but then, in a moment of panic, she undid her thumbs up and like and unsubscribed from my channel. She later contacted me to say she was too afraid that her family and friends would find out that she had liked it, who were still in the organization we both left, and that gave her panic attacks. She went on to berate herself to me, saying, Here you are being so strong and talking out publicly, and I'm too afraid to even like your video. What is wrong with me? Another man contacted me online to tell me 
He had been out of the same cult for over 40 years, and to this day, family and previous friends will not speak to him, and that there are still nights where fear takes over of hell, judgment, God's curse for disobeying the pastor or the leader. So someone has to speak out, and it might as well be me. Ellie Weisel said, Neutrality helps the oppressor, never the victim. Silence encourages the tormentor, never the tormented. Staying silent is like choosing the side of the oppressor. Depression is venomous. It's the use of power by one person or a group of people to disempower, marginalize, and silence or otherwise subordinate another group of people, often in order to empower and privilege the ones who are oppressing. So here we are talking about spiritual abuse, but I don't want this to just be my voice, Ralph's voice. And I give you a little bit of an intro to my story through the podcast series. I'm going to talk in more depth about my story and some of my experiences, but it's so important to get the realization that this is from other perspectives, that there are other people out there who are suffering from the effects of spiritual abuse, but also these rays of hope of people who have recovered from spiritual abuse. And one such case is a video interview that was published a little bit earlier in August of 2018 this year uh, by a, a woman named Ashley Darkenwald who interviewed her friend Christina Zekskowski about her experience in a spiritually abusive cult style system within Germany. And I want to start off using a few clips of this interview to kind of set the stage for the reality of what it is to be controlled by somebody else and paint the picture of how that transforms into actually believing that you need their control. And, and Christina actually talks about that. It'll probably be around the second or third clip where she got to the point where she felt incapable of making her own choices and decisions in life because the abuse of spiritual abuse or the control of spiritual abuse is something that actually digs into you that way and you begin to believe that you have to have that control in your life. I'm in the middle of writing a book called Two Steps from a Commune, which I'll talk about more in other episodes, but one of the chapters that I'm, I'm polishing up right now is called When Control Sets In, and it's at that point that you start to buy into the control, but listen to this audio clip of how it starts off before that control is actually gripping you but but the verbiage that you use shows that it's already beginning. So it sounds like you had lots of reason to trust them. They were treating you well. Um, you were making positive changes in your life. How do you get from that to what you would consider spiritual abuse? Where was the gap? They didn't like that I wanted to still have contact with my family. And I observed something very similar with all the other members who were all in similar stages in their life. Um, that they were alienated from their families. It became more and more mandatory to show up mm -hmm. uh, until I realized if I don't show up, I get into trouble. Mm -hmm. I would go uh, visit my parents maybe for a weekend and I would get phone calls, text messages, and I would even be asked to come, come back. It was more and more, let's all kind of become a community or more like a commune. And so members of this group, as it developed, kind of all started to live together. And the idea, the dream was to kind of have our own property mm -hmm. as if that hadn't ever been done before. And so spiritual abuse always starts with something that we call love bombing. And it was in that moment where the interview started where the interviewer, Ashley, said, in that beginning stage, it seems like you had a lot of reason to trust them. And as Christina was responding, she was saying how really she had and she started to experience good things in her life. But she started recognizing how she had to comply. She had to be there. And if she wasn't there, she would start getting text messages, phone calls, demanding that she come back. And this is kind of when control starts to take root in a spiritually abusive system. I remember this many, many times in the, in the system I belong to where they said, 
it was only right for you. The least you could do is call the pastor and tell him when you weren't going to be there. And if you're going to go on vacation or if you're going to be gone for a while, you need to go talk to the pastor, tell him what you're doing, tell him where you're going to be. And I remember in multiple occasions, I traveled for business and they would say, okay, well, while you're gone, let me find you a church that's like ours, that I trust, that you can go to while you're away, and, and I don't want you to partake of this. I don't want you going and doing that, but you know, you really need to just kind of keep yourself in this section. So they, they control where you go and what you do, and that is the root of spiritually abusive systems. That's where it begins. It's, it's them kind of pulling you into their circle and trying to keep you there. And as that audio clip started with Christina, they didn't like you fellowshipping with people who are outside of their circle. That's the other really, really big red flag of a spiritually abusive system. If they control your social circle, then they're exercising mind control over you as an individual. And you lose your individuality. You lose your ability to think for yourself, to reason for yourself, to make choices for yourself. And you even lose the ability, as we'll hear later on, to discern what is good, right, and wrong for your own life. Physically, spiritually, emotionally, in your romances, etc. And what's worse is, you get to a place where you believe that nothing bad can come out of the place that you're at if you have good and positive experiences there. But no, we thought this is where the great thing of God is happening. I experienced the Holy Spirit uh, in, in ways that I as a Baptist had never before. So I could not put together that you can experience something good and very bad from the same person. I've heard this line time and time again, and I remember in my initial period of time when I started to question the system that I was a part of, the cult, the spiritually abusive church system, I began to question how could I be thinking that there's something wrong with this when there was such a great, powerful move of God. Like, you know, we were very charismatic in worship. The music was loud. The worship was demonstrative. We were called Holy Rollers. I haven't announced yet in this podcast what church system I belong to, and I will soon. But we were Holy Rollers, and we you know, we spoke in tongues, and we danced, and we shouted, we ran around the church, we jumped, we clapped, we, we sang, and it was very emotional driven, it was very exciting, and so we felt like this was the power of Almighty God, and how could something bad come out of that? We were always taught the principle that nothing good could come from a bad tree or a bad root, so the root of something was how you measured the long-term goodness of it. So if there was good things happening, it must be good. But as things continue, we realize that we're being pushed into or pressured into a system of control. Listen to what Christina says when she realizes she had to be submitted and obedient to the pressure of the leader. Prayers, I got uh, just lessons that I learned during those few days that were so vital to me uh, that I just thought if I hadn't trusted him, if I hadn't been obedient to his pressure, mm -hmm. which apparently I needed to be obedient. Um, so you thought. So I thought. Were, they were instilling in you. It was working, sure. yes, yes. It's funny to think that he put all that pressure on me and then all these good things happened. but. I took all the blessings and ran with them, and uh, there was another, just a mile marker for my trust was cemented. Mm -hmm. I came to the conclusion that I cannot trust my own judgment, mm -hmm. that I will make decisions that are bad for me because I'm concerned about money, I'm concerned about what would people think, or fear of failure, all these things, but I'm not really where God is. I can't grasp what God is thinking. So I fully entrusted myself to their care. Mm -hmm. And that's the crux of spiritual abuse. It's when you get to that place that you entrust yourself into the care of another flawed human being to be the conduit between yourself and God, to be the one who can make the decisions for you to be the one who is connected with God and has the wisdom that you lack 
to direct your life. That is when control sets in. It's not until you come to that mental break that you're willing to take their word for every aspect of your life. And when I say every aspect of your life, I'm talking about your job, where you live, who you date, your romance, your finances. Everything about your life is now at the whim of that person, that leader, as Christina calls this person later on in her video. By way of example, I'm finally going to reveal to you the cult church system I was a part of. And it may shock some. I mean, it, it may even come out as, is that really a cult? But for 15 years, I was a part of the Oneness Pentecostal, or you would know it as the United Pentecostal Church International. Now, the church I belonged to was actually independent. They had left the United Pentecostal Church, claiming it to be too liberal, too loose. The United Pentecostal Church allowed people to wear wedding rings. And our particular t preacher and teacher and leader did not think that anybody should wear a wedding ring. The women were not allowed to color their hair, trim their hair, uh, crimp their hair, pattern their hair. Men were not allowed to wear any types of jewelry, and neither were women. Uh, we weren't allowed to wear short sleeve shirts or shorts. There was a heavy emphasis on control, but it moved to the realm of being a cult in that they literally controlled everything about your life. I had to ask permission to date my wife. I had to ask permission if I could marry her. Everything about my romance, my finances, was up to the pastor and the leader. In fact, I remember the first house I ever purchased. It was like that American dream to, to finally own your own home. And I went and told the pastor about it after I had closed and everything was done. And I was reprimanded and he was upset with me because I didn't get his permission on where I bought my home. And he even said, I never would have condoned you purchasing a home in that neighborhood. And it's at this point when most people say, why did you even put up with it? Why would you even let somebody control you like that? And the easy answer is, by the time you get to that phase, you've been taught the lesson of fear. You're fearful of the repercussion. You're afraid of being in trouble. Uh, it is insane to talk about that as an adult, as that you would be in trouble by another adult who was not the law. This wasn't the judge. This was the pastor of a local church. But we truly did fear uh, getting in trouble. And I remember in that scenario where he chastised me for not getting his permission to buy the house that I purchased, I felt deflated. I felt as if I had just let somebody down, that I had failed them. And it's when you learn that type of fear that that control becomes absolutely ratified and set in stone. As a matter of fact, Christina said this about fear. So it sounds like you had this time, maybe over time, where it switched from um, awesome to uncertain, but then it kind of cemented that this was really where you belonged. Yeah. Um, at what point, because you're not, you're not with this group anymore, mm -hmm. so at what point do you feel like things started changing and you began to question again, is this where I really should be? Is this right. the right... You know, at what point do you feel like something changed? I should have picked up so much sooner that fear was always in the game. I was always afraid of how will they react. I mean, we, we did have just friendly conversations, and in those I wasn't generally afraid, but every once in a while there were so harsh things being said to me out of the blue, uh, when I would make a joke or a light comment and or just a naive comment or just a dumb comment but yet so much harshness that I learned to really be afraid of them. And then once that fear is truly settled in like Christina is saying how she gave herself all to it once that fear controls you then it comes to controlling your life and it's controlling your behaviors who you can be with where you can go and and this is where the exclusivity of these types of groups come into play. This is where it is your social circle within the group, within the church, within the cult, 
and you are forbidden basically from having contact with folks, people, family, friends outside of the organization. And I experienced this, of course, all the time. We believed that we were the only ones saved, that we had the only true revelation of God's word, that for 2,000 years from the time of Christ until about 1945, which is when the United Pentecostal Church gelled into what it is today, that nobody got the revelation of God's word right. And so now, anybody who is outside of our church circle, whether they be Lutheran or Catholic or any other type of Protestant Christianity, they were all wrong. They were all going to hell. They were all uh, satanic. They were all bad influences on us. And so the leaders have to control your mind. They have to control what knowledge you have access to. They have to control who you have access to, what you can read, what you can listen to, what you can see. And this is all based on the fear of heaven. We talked about that just a few minutes ago, how the system is all filled with fear You have to have a fear that you're incapable of making your own decisions for yourself. But more importantly, they want you to have a fear that if you do not obey their every command, then heaven will not be your home, that you would have an eternal torment in hell for disobeying them. I'll give you a good example. There was a young man who came out of the church that I left And he went back into it and I was speaking to him about the legalism and the law-based, performance-based religion and how bad it was. And he kept coming back to this idea that we have to obey them that have the rule over you, which he was implying that to be the pastor. And so I asked him the question, if your pastor tomorrow told you that eating red salsa was no longer something he wanted his people to do, it was unholy, he didn't consider it to be the proper thing for his church members, would you then stop eating red salsa? And he said, yes. So I asked him again, if your pastor said that eating red salsa was wrong, and you continued to eat red salsa because you thought this is such a ridiculous claim, do you think that you would be sinning for not obeying the rules of the pastor? And he again said, yes. So I asked one more time, if your pastor tomorrow said that all the men needed to wear light blue shirts and navy slacks, that's the only thing you could wear, do you think that's appropriate and right for your pastor to create that kind of a rule? And he again said, yes, we must obey them that have the rule over you. And so once you get to that place that your soul is on the line and you believe fully that you have to obey everything that that person tells you to do, then they have absolute control over you until your mind breaks free from the spiritual abuse. (sighs) Gave myself even further into their care because when I found myself in this struggle again, and it, it is not just a little bit of a, oh, this is uncomfortable, it's the torment of hell when you think you're missing it, that God is saying to you, this is it, my child. But you're like, but I'm in love, and I had all this joy and this freedom, and I thought this was you over here in America, but apparently it wasn't. Mm -hmm. I had to make a decision. What do I believe? And for my, my own sanity. And so I went all in with, I must have totally missed it. I don't know what happened to myself. I need to really be careful with following my passions and really uh, submit myself completely to what they're saying. Mm -hmm. So this is a very powerful story with this woman named Christina Zekskowski, who came from a very similar cult-style system that I did. And here shortly, the interview gets to the point where Ashley Darkenwald, the woman doing the interview, asks, what happened? What what?" came to you that made you realize finally that you had to get out and I found it interesting because I only found this video today as I'm creating this podcast and her response the thing that finally woke her up was identical to mine and I'm going to play just a little bit of her audio shortly but what woke me up was how terribly people were treated who left the organization, who left the cult. And in a next, in another episode, I'm going to talk about the catalyst for what woke me up. 
which was the passing of my mother and the details of that story. But I realized how shameful it was and how unchristian it was the way we treated people who were different than us. Anybody who left the church was shunned. They were shamed. They were gossiped about. They were spoken evil of. They were anathema. They were to be excommunicated. They were not to be fellowshiped with. Even family members who left the church, you were supposed to avoid. You were no longer to spend time with them. And Christina goes on in her interview to explain that that's really what woke her up. And this is the shameful aspect of spiritual abuse and why I said part of my story was that I became that person. And it was only until I began to realize the evil of that that I was able to break my mind away and free myself from the mentality of a cult style and a spiritually abusive church, then I was then able to step back and really introspectively look at all the things I had been taught and all the things I believed and everything that had encompassed my belief of God and realize that it was a very perverted and distorted belief in a God who came to bring this message of love and hope and acceptance and to love one another, to give your own life for the betterment of other people. For us to claim to be Christians and do the exact opposite of what Christ did made me realize that I was not in a Christian organization. As a matter of fact, I remember the last two services I ever attended at this church. It was February 2nd, 2017 and February 9th, 2017. My mother's memorial service was February 11th, 2017. So this was a period of time that I really have strong memories of. And I remember on the, the February 2nd, which was a Thursday night service, that the entire service was about... If you don't think the way I do, this is the pastor speaking, if you don't think the way I do, then you're thinking wrong and you need to pray and pray and pray through until you break your mind of anything that is against what I say and what I teach and that you believe the way I believe. And then the last service, February 9th, was literally making fun of people who are not like us. One of the aspects of being in a very demonstrative worship style system, charismatic as the oneness Pentecostals are, was that your prayer and your worship needs to be loud and it needs to be heard and seen by all, which of course is antithetical to the example Christ gave us. But that was just the way it was done. And I remember the last service was literally making fun of people who are not like us. For instance, the pastor was pantomiming, making faces and adopting body postures of somebody who was praying silently with their hands crossed in front of them and their head down, their eyes closed, kind of kneeling in this posture of prayer. And he would say, those people who pray silently, it doesn't work. And he would scream that. And everybody in the church would amen, and they would clap, and some would laugh. And then he spoke about preachers who would wear jeans and a button-up shirt that was not tucked in. And he would pantomime them sitting on a bar stool or some kind of casual posture and saying they sit on their bar stools on a platform with no no podium and 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 they have their shirts untucked and they're wearing jeans and they're giving pretty little sermons and he said they're hirelings and it doesn't work and everybody laughed slapped their knees shouted amen clapped worshiped but i remember telling somebody i would have been ashamed if i had invited somebody to church that day because they would literally have been made fun of. And what kind of Christian example was that? And Christina in this next clip goes on to say the same thing. That When she had her awakening, she realized she could never recruit somebody to this organization because of how shameful it was the way they treated other people. Listen to this. So I completely sold myself to these people. Mm -hmm. And the motive 
at the end of the day was my sanity. I just did not want to lose my sanity. And what were some of the other uh, red flags or some of the, the turning points where you started to, at some point, shift and say, this isn't right? What, what would an example that you would point to be of an instance that you had that gut feeling? Yeah, yeah. There was so much shaming going on of, within our group and demonizing of people that would leave or would be kicked out. I started to find myself thinking that I cannot, with a good conscience, recruit mm. people into the group, which is a big expectation. So I only have one more audio clip to share from this interview with Christina Zagskowski. But I started this podcast reading you the first two pages of the book, The Subtle Power of Spiritual Abuse. And I found it so intriguing that Christina goes on to talk about two books that were instrumental in her healing and her escape from what could only be considered a cult and a spiritually abusive church. And you can't see it in the video, but as she begins to speak, she holds up David Johnson's and Jeff Van Vonderen's book, The Subtle Power of Spiritual Abuse. Yeah. Sounds very different than the um, books that we're reading about spiritual abuse. Speak a little bit to your experience and what you've been reading and learning from our friends, um, Brian Zond and David Johnson and Jeff Van Vonderen. What, what, how does that speak into your story? Yes, my goodness. Uh, so the first book I read was actually in German, in Germany when I had already moved to America and left the group. I was visiting my mother in Germany, and she gave this book in German to me and uh, said, you, I think maybe now you're ready to read it. And so I just started like, mm. and I was like, this is it. This is exactly what happened to me. So I read the entire book very quickly, and I read it multiple times. I discussed it for years and years with my, my home group, my home church. and. Uh, this has helped me tremendously understand the dynamics, understand my part in it. It's difficult to say to a victim, what was your part in it? And there are definitely cases where the victim had nothing to do with it, but I know what happened to me, I had a part in it, and I needed to understand and own that part. Uh, and I think otherwise I would have gone from one cult to another, which coming to America, I was ready to do just that. Thankfully, God gave me a wiser husband than myself. So what is spiritual abuse? We started off this podcast by explaining it this way. Spiritual abuse is when a leader in a position of spiritual authority causes others to believe that they have to perform to a particular standard set by that leader in order to obtain spiritual acceptance by God. And furthermore, spiritual abuse is created when a leader uses his position to create a system of dependence on himself or herself. In other words, you are caused to believe that Without that person, you cannot please God. Your obedience to a man is required to display obedience to God, even if that person asks you for things outside of the word of God. And we were able to see that clearly defined in the story from the beginning of the subtle power of spiritual abuse. And the interview is done by Ashley Darkenwald with Christina Zakskowski in her experience with an organization in Germany, much like the one I left. So I want to end this podcast with a couple of references to websites and blog posts and YouTube channels to help somebody if they've experienced this type of church system that they can turn to to find the support that other people have been able to find to recover their spirituality, their individuality, their faith, their desire, their love, 
whatever it is that they had lost due to the traumatic effect of spiritual abuse. Number one, we do have a blog at dividetheword.blog. We have over 110 articles written about many of these topics that over time we will share in future episodes of this podcast. You can also find us on our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com forward slash divide the word blog. And you can also go to a website, spiritualabuse.org. And it is at this website that you can find a large list of references to not only individual stories of people who have come out of this type of abuse of church system, but you can also find a list of videos, YouTube channels, DVDs for purchase, and books such as The Subtle Power of Spiritual Abuse and the book The Toxic Faith. And you can actually request those free of cost. And furthermore, I want to put a mention at the end of this podcast for our Patreon account, which you can find at patreon.com forward slash spiritual recovery. It is there that you can donate to this channel. And we don't want to ask for that very often, but the purpose to the donations will be to fund purchasing of these books and many other like books to be able to ship those to people free of cost who need that support, who need to get connected with resources and education to help them break free of the mentality of being controlled by others. It is often, most people hate to admit that they are a victim. And in our society, because we have so much victim blaming, it is often shameful or a fearful thing to admit that victimhood. And yet, there are hundreds and thousands of people in this exact same circumstance living it out right now, day by day. And when they read these books, they no longer feel alone. They no longer feel like they're in a different world, a different country, a different universe. They realize that people have gone through this before them and that there is a way out. So again, I want to invite you to our blog at dividetheword.blog. The YouTube channel is youtube.com forward slash divide the word blog. And you can also go to patreon.com forward slash spiritual recovery to donate to this channel. And those monies will go towards providing that safety net and spiritual recovery tool set for people who've experienced this. We want to thank you for listening to this episode. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast so that you're notified when we have future releases of episodes. And we look forward to seeing you next time.